My guest has arguably the biggest job in Australian media. Michael Miller is Executive Chairman of News Corp Australia, a role he's held since 2015. He's been with News Corp for most of his career, since joining the company's marketing team 30 years ago next month. You'll know News Corp from its portfolio of Metro News Mastheads, including The Telegraph, The Courier Mail and The Herald Sun, for its national title, The Australian, for news website, news.com.au, and for its TV news operation, Sky News Australia. The company also has majority stakes in Foxtel Group and in property platform, REA Group. Michael Miller has had a front row as News Corp evolved from a newspaper company into something much more complicated. On Monday, News Corp held its decoded event for digital marketers, which is one reason for the timing of this conversation. Now, Michael, the last time I interviewed you on the record was on stage at Mumbrella 360, five years ago, believe it or not. Now, the title of the keynote you gave that day was Persuading Audiences and Customers to Pay and Stay. Now, even then, I'm not sure that the whole publishing world was convinced that subscribers could be the main means of funding newspapers. Um, when Rupert Murdoch started the company on that path more than a decade ago now, many, many people predicted that it would not work. Yet here you are. Is it still about getting people to pay and stay? It is. Uh, and many in the industry are now uh, moved to a subscription, an audience-funded model. And that whether it be a streamer, whether it be uh, your local uh, out of industry, you've got uh, supermarkets. And uh, but particularly for us, if I think back of five years ago, in July of, uh, I think it was 2018, we last spoke to him, um, we had about 420,000 subscribers. And uh, in October last year, we announced we just passed a million. And that when I reflect on five years ago, it was a question of, do we actually have a sustainable model for journalism? And today I can say far more confidently that we do. And that's a good thing for not just for media companies, but also for those who rely so much on them. And I suppose one of the things we have seen the pendulum swinging even more so than, 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 you know, during that conversation was that move towards subscriber pays as opposed to advertiser pays. Has that, has that pendulum reached as far as it will, do you think? Because I, I guess you almost have two constituencies, really, don't you? The advertisers and the subscribers slash readers. Yeah, I, I've always described us traditionally as a business of a dual-sided marketplace where we are connecting you know, those, who, those audiences with our journalism, with clients who want to engage in, in trusted uh, contextual environments. Um, the pendulum is continuing to sw- swing uh, from being client dominated to being far more uh, consumer balanced, and you know, a good business is diversified revenues, um, but also uh, diversified audiences too. So, yet yeah, I don't think that pendulum has stopped yet. It has had a good three, four years. Um, it's still growing, but the the fatigue that I think particularly news and information is seen over the past few years is definitely starting to settle in. And that it's now, uh, I think, a challenge for all media companies to look at bundling partnerships, 
and a, a more compelling value offer which goes beyond just traditional news. Well, before we speak more widely, I'd like to maybe talk about a couple of the announcements from this week from Decoded. Um, I'll invite you to put your marketer hat back on and explain the total commerce proposition, if you could, please. Yeah. Um, total commerce has been something which we've been working towards now for a number of years and that we're, in McKinsey estimate this will be a, a over a $500 million market uh, globally. Uh, uh, sorry, five hundred billion dollar market globally in the in the coming years ahead, and so from a news corp perspective, total commerce refers to this, a, a suite of client solutions that integrates our content and commercial content uh, with the ability to purchase uh, at the lower end of the of, of the purchase funnel, and that it does you know connect using our, our data, our data that we share with both Foxtel and REA to connect clients more accurately through contextual content in an actual purchase of our sites. And that's something which we've been working on for a number of years. And this, I suppose, is the really interesting thing that we are talking kind of increasingly about sort of off-site strategies. Um, is Is that a signal of where media is going or where News Corp is going? I think it's something which all media are going to. Think of the origins. We have masters in our portfolio called the advertiser and that commercial messages in trusted news environments is nothing new. Uh, That's been well established now for centuries. And this is an evolution of that and it's the latest of that. Whereby our clients are asking us to asking to get closer to their customers who are our consumers, and that we know we don't want to interrupt that environment that they're consuming their news in, and it's, a, it's part of the reason we invested in companies like Medium Rare and the work they do with uh, Australian Institute of Company Directors. It's Qantas, David Jones, amongst many. It's the reason why we invested in Visual Domain because a lot more of this you know, content now is is, vis- is video and audio, and, uh, in, in, and not just in print and uh, pictorially. It's, well, it's why last year at Decoded we announced uh, shoppable video and vertical video and that the, the years we've been building up to this moment whereby I think the market is now ready and accepting that it's total commerce that we can provide a solution from top end of funnel to the purchase at the bottom end. And is this a conversation to mainly have with brands and marketers directly or via their agencies? My observation is that sitting in many different parts of organisations and there's not a consistent uh, location who owns this because in some cases it is a brand is still important in terms of that purchase decision and that sits in one part of a business but then digital commerce is sitting in another. Social sometimes sits and that's a, a, your off-platform audience as we find in our business um, is particularly important in terms of pushing people down into that purchase funnel and that I feel like there's some companies that don't have that end, that they cradle to grave processes are in place and they're still working through that and to be fair, so have we. But I think that's what we now have got clarity on in terms of providing uh, not just retailers but insurance companies in terms of um, FMCG goods directly, uh, fashion, fast fashion, these are all areas, and the, you know, the Black Friday Cyber Monday for us continues to double the past three years as a 
indicator of a consumer's you know propensity and willingness to pay. One of the uh, interesting things um, I took from the total commerce part of the announcement um, this week, and uh, you know, and I, I accept this wasn't the central part at all, but you, as an organisation, did you did talk a little bit about using AI as part of this process, um, which I think is a kind of interesting moment because obviously since ChatGPT broke through and OpenAI broke through, it's it, it is the topic of the time. Um, how are you thinking about AI's place within News Corp going forward? We've um, been using AI for a number of years. It's not new to the category and not new to us as a company. Um, in being able to be a, a newsroom assistant, in being able to uh, quickly um, analyse audiences that are on our various sites, um, and so Vidora is the is the brand we use. Uh, we use a reporting tool called Verity, which is world leading and publishes around the world. And now looking at what we've done in terms of understanding who is paying and who is staying, and what they're what they're reading prior, what they're reading post. You know, demographically, geographically, it gives us a great insight in how we've changed our company in terms of allocation of uh, uh, reporters and staff, uh, but also the rounds that we choose and where we see growth opportunities. Um, we use AI in um, News Connect, which is an our seven-year-long uh, data product, which we've worked with other uh, leading uh, data brands, uh, the, the banks, the, the cards, uh, the, the retailers, to be able to provide over, well, nearly 3,000 different segments for different clients that custom-made for them. And AI is a big part of our News Connect product. Um, ChatGPT is another layer, and it's you know it's exciting. I think it's here to stay. I don't think it's a fad. Um, but we need to be you know it's early days as well. We need to understand you know, how best to use it and you know, how not to use it. And do you see that conversation around using generative AI to create editorial content? Is that a Rubicon that? must not be crossed or is there a place for it for kind of the sort of low value commoditized content how are you how are you thinking about that part because that must be the most sensitive part of the conversation about ai yeah there's probably three layers that are top of mind for me at the moment and as i say this is still evolving but attribution is important in journalism that you know you're quoting the source the the person um but equally and i think it's important for trusted media to you know, declare if chat GPT and generative AI is your source. So that's how I think about that in terms of first layer of journalism. I see it as being a newsroom predict, um, assistant rather than being a journalist replacement and that it, based on historical um, information and comments and a variety of sources and that it doesn't, though, give you context to the current and any predictive, despite its term, uh, around you know what others may behave differently tomorrow, and so that's the role of a journalist: is to be inquisitive, is to be forward-thinking, and is to be thinking around guidance to how we should be thinking about events or issues socially in the future. And that I haven't seen yet ChatGPT be able to meet that need. The third layer is how ChatGPT has been built, and it's 
just trawled and uh, many different uh, uh, sources, primarily, though, trusted media brands. And that, again, we're in that situation where there's a business being built here which is uh, utilising um, the content of others, not just trusted media brands, but without attribution and without payment. And I think that's... That's interesting. That, that, and that is a concern for the original creators who are not benefiting, but they're seeing their, their journalism or their you know, hard work, their cataloguing, uh, benefited by others. Now, I, I first remember probably in something like 2008, 2009, um, Rupert Murdoch, your proprietor, talking you know fairly fiercely about the role that Google was playing in in using news content to drive its search results and suggesting that it would be fair to receive a payment. And I, like many people at the time, thought that seemed a bit unrealistic, and yet it came to be. Um, Have you yet got an evolved position on whether we've got the same principle at stake um, when it comes to generative AI? Is it, you know, is is there a point when you would want the likes of Microsoft or other people who, who, who partner in OpenAI to be coming to the same sort of conversation that the news media bargaining code conversation drove? I think that those conversations are inevitable, if not you know, going to be accelerated, and that uh, that's not in dispute about where the uh, content and uh, advice is coming from, and they're already asking for payment models from consumers and that you know, that's not right. Now, in um, Scott Morrison as treasurer and then prime minister, you had somebody who was very sympathetic to that argument. Do you do you yet have a sense of what the view of the current government is? I know it's, it's very new and happening fast, so I don't know if you've got to that conversation yet. Uh, the news bargaining code that was introduced 18, or 18 months ago was uh, got received bipartisan support and that I'd take that as being that they are supportive conceptually and of the principles behind the code. So uh, it's not a conversation which we've had to have um, as we've had it uh, probably two years plus prior and that it, uh, they've indicated their support. As now other countries around the world are following Australia's lead in uh, looking at how they regulate in their own markets. And do you think that will now extend to the conversation around AI as well, naturally, or is that a conversation that will need to be forced to make it happen? Uh, I, I I take partnership as approach. I would be wanting to have conversations uh, with you know, potential users of our journalism as a first port. Um, uh, uh, going in with lawyers at a first meeting is never a great way to start any relationship. And so like, I would... You know, prefer to be meeting with those and discussing you know, what is a fair you know, partnership look like. And I think that at the same time, um, a lot of the uh, chat GPT uh, content that's generated isn't attributed either. And that would be a benefit, I think, to those organisations to uh, hear that and see that as being part of the off- of the offer they make. Now, while we're talking about uh, frenemies, um, you're getting into vertical video. That was another one of the announcements this week, um, which I, I, I guess gets one thinking about um, TikTok 
are they, I mean, it's unfair to call them the new kids now, but are they where the attention is beginning to swing towards now as opposed to Facebook as the, the, the previous social media foe? They're definitely video is video consumption is on the rise. Uh, that is, is now a, it's, it's reels for Facebook. It's uh, the, it's Google web stories in that, on that platform and it's TikToks for TikTok. And so yes, that as our content or journalism may be used on that platform, that's a conversation that you know, as new platforms come to bear, I think the code need to consider those. And that um, if we go back uh, 10 years ago, back to the origins of even prior to Facebook in the 15 years ago, there's a big, uh, they've, they've evolved greatly. And that I think that the code needs to continue to evolve uh, to counter for new entrance to the market and but also how their business models have changed in line with how consumers are changing and the acceleration of video has been uh, uh, dramatic over the past few years and that uh, that's where TikTok has benefited uh, to Facebook's expense but uh, as they are increasingly using the content of others then that's a fair conversation to have. A couple of points of the the last few years um, that I'd love to just get your perspective on now that that they're in the beginnings of the rear view mirror. Now, first one we have talked about already, which is the um, news media bargaining code negotiations. Um, how would the economics of news look now if that process hadn't happened and Facebook and Google? hadn't been nudged into making those deals in 2021 to pay the publishers how would uh, how would the landscape be now oh it'd be there'd be there'd be pressure on um all media who uh, not just uh, news media who have not just got um commercial agreements but partnerships now in place i arguably there's been a um an investment made, as I say, that could be both in kind or in cash, depending on the different arrangements that are there, which has enabled some of those companies that are now seeing some headwinds to create, you know, for me, I kind of feel how they reinvested in the arrangement they've come to, to accelerate the growth of their digital business. And that's probably the approach I've thought of at News Corp, is that this isn't about a a bottom line return to shareholder moment. It's about an opportunity to reinvest in a digital future. And that's now, when I think of the core, it's a digital core. And that's been the opportunity that those arrangements have now created. And so how would it look? I think it would look a lot better. I think I'd be concerned that we would have less players. And that is not good for for the consumer ultimately, uh, but, uh, but for Australian media more broadly. Now, there is some speculation that when Facebook's agreements start coming up for renewal next year, they seem to have far less appetite to renew perhaps than the Google News Initiative does or um, Google and Alphabet more generally. Um, how do the economics change for you if Facebook and their parent company Meta don't come back to the table next year? Um, should uh, that be a decision they make, it um, would impact uh, the ability to reinvest. And that, that's how I consider it. I, don't, I can't talk for others, but that uh, would be 
disappointment. I think I don't think it'd be good for their business either. To be frank, I think that we that we refer a, for News Corp to combined Google and Facebook. We sent you know, 2.9 billion referrals last year, and that that is value to them. And a large proportion of those their total referrals uh, come from news media companies, and that. As I say, I see it particularly as they think through video and how they respond. And we produce 80 uh, reels a week for them, which is the largest exercise of a type in the world. That there is definitely value which you know, those trusted brands give uh, to uh, their platforms. Um, so I don't think it's good business for either, but it wouldn't be good business if they were to walk away and whether they're like, – I'm not sure how they detangle their relationship with their you – know, audience without the use of news. I don't know technically how they achieved that either. Now, um, I suppose another key moment over the last five years or so, we look back at 2020 when all publishers, including News Corp, had to make some big decisions as um, the pandemic kicked in. Um, You pretty much got out of the print business for local newspapers I mean, that's nearly three years ago now. It's just flying by. Um, when you look back on that period now, was was this just an acceleration of something that was inevitable or was there anything that could have changed that story and changed that trajectory, do you think? I think it was the, an acceleration of the inevitable uh, that we had seen for the decade prior that the local newspapers had, well, had been funded wholly by client dollars. They were your car yard. They were your shopping malls. They were your local job markets. They were the swap meets. They were the tenders. Council stopped advertising. Um, council notices disappeared. Um, a lot of the you know key major advertisers in communities that relied on local foot traffic moved to uh, social platforms. They moved to the the the. The portals of uh, Seek, of Cars, of Cars Guide, of realestate.com.au, and that there wasn't a model to fund those. The uncertainty of the pandemic meant that most of those businesses were unable to trade and that, that we didn't know how long that would last for. And so I, I, we made the conclusion that those dollars that had already started to drain and they accelerated at the start of the pandemic were not going to come back. And that to transition them to still be digital models, not uh, printed as well, uh, was something which we had seen occur in other markets around the world. And it pains me to, but I'm, I'm a print lover and someone who's grown up on it, but equally got to accept that our audiences had moved digitally, our clients had moved digitally, and that you weren't able to, to hold on to the old, yet the plan for the new. Look, I'm also print lover grew up in local newspapers started delivering the local paper when i was 13 years old so you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm very much from the the camp that's supportive of local news um i i struggle to see models emerge that really help fund local the sort of local journalism that used to happen everywhere of a a reporter in every courtroom a reporter in every council meeting a reporter arriving at the cop shop every day to see what was going on. Um, I'd love to hear some reasons for optimism about that sort of journalism being funded at that 
granular local level in the future are you are you are you seeing signs at all yeah no and that is the big revelation and that i think one of, we're one of the first companies in the world to see the value of hyper local news in the past 3 years we have launched 24 new mastheads in areas where we previously did not have a print publication we, what people subscribe for, what they, you know, what's that moment where they say, I'm going to start paying for, is a local reason. It is, it is court reports. It is tender applications. It's developments you know, that are happening around the corner. It is local crime. Uh, it's, the, it's the local football footy team. So, as I said, we've invested in 24 new publications in high-consumption areas. We've also started a local sports streaming service. This year we will broadcast 2,300 local local national and state sports games, which come part of your masthead. And the benefit for those organisations is that we continue to report upon those as part of our part of your local masthead. And that's what people initially pay for. What they stay for is quite different. What they stay for is network news. It's news about the latest uh, the diet. It's the post-COVID travel trends. It's the advice around superannuation. So the, the combination of hyperlocal and network is what is the, the, the beauty we're seeing, and we're not the only ones seeing that around the world, but I think we were the first to see the benefit of the void that was been left for hyperlocal news that people need, and they haven't particularly, they have particularly needed that the past three years. Well, you mentioned a little bit earlier your sort of view on partnerships, which um, it it does strike me that News Corp is a less insular company than it was once seen. Um, a few examples came to mind for me. Uh, last August, you signed a deal with O-Media to deliver news across their screen network. Um, Seven West Media's Perth newspapers tap into News Corp resources. Um, HT&E, which you ran for a while when it was APN News and Media, that's partly owned by News Corp, about 13% or something. Um, how do you think about how, as one of the, I suppose, two big beasts, about how the company should act within that commercial media ecosystem? Yeah, I, I sometimes feel that some days I'm going to sit opposite a company and compete. Some days I'm going to sit next to them and, and compliment. We, we print and we distribute the Nine and the ACM publications. Um, increasingly, our audience is off-platform. 72, 72% of our audience does not come directly to our mastheads. So the majority of it is coming to us from seeing a media screen. It's seeing us on Insta, Facebook, on, on a search result. And that increasingly we need to look at those off-platform top of funnel. And that's part of the reason why we see audience growth coming from, because with those more greater eyeballs becomes greater familiarity of the brands and the content and journalism that we produce, and they're more likely to become a news.com.au audience, which become part of our total commerce solution, or they hopefully become a subscriber over the longer term. And so that's where partnerships become, and every partnership is different. I, I wish there was just a simple cookie-cutter model approach, but people have different amb ambitions and drivers to their own business. And that you mentioned Seven West. I've mentioned a lot of media companies already in this conversation who we do work with. And that our probably our growth will come from taking shares to those who are not based in this country, 
rather than those traditional competitors that we all grew up with. Now, in your stint at APN, you got some exposure to the outdoor advertising sector. Um, let's talk the potential for mergers and acquisitions. Would it would it make sense for News Corp to own a QMS or an O Media or somebody like that? Do you think it would be a um, inconsistent with our, you know, I suppose, past mandate? Um, we're a content company. Um, my experience from out of home in Australia is that uh, Australia is one of the leaders in the world in terms of out of home technology, and those you know, those companies are predominantly landlord, and they're leasing from landlords and selling the their leased assets to to clients. They're not the, the not not the curating content, and that's why we see companies like Ooh Media partnering with us for content. Um, now I um, don't see us as a, a potential out of home player because it's not our core skill set. Don't never say never, but I'd see that you know, our skills are in in you know, content creation, curation and amplification and that you know, I'd much prefer to stay in those areas that uh, we would lead in and not you know, necessarily venture into those that uh, others do better at. What do you expect to see happening in, the, in, in M&A, in the wider market? this year or going forward? Are you expecting to see much occur? I would expect that most companies will focus on their core. For us, that's a digital core. And that there will be, I worry less about revenue lines, more about cost lines that, uh, and that managing your cost base. Um, I think we're still seeing the, you know, the where does the post-COVID uh, bounce settle? On its, on its recline, and that there may be opportunities that emerge, particularly with some of the tech businesses that are looking now more stretched as their valuations and models are showing signs of strain, and that I'm not, or I'm not convinced yet that some of them are as sustainable as what they were looking 12 months ago. So, yeah, our priority is definitely on we're seeing good growth in our core digital business and that we need to ensure that uh, the great work that our print teams are doing uh, maximised in terms of that digital transition. Well, let's say I'm, I'm sort of glad you mentioned the, the sort of that, that wider outlook. Now, it is a matter of public record that News Corp is currently cutting 5% of jobs globally. Now, you were running News Corp's New South Wales operation back in 2012 when the local newspaper had in- industry had what well, felt at the time like its near-death moment. Um, how does this year feel compared to that? I feel that this year is far more certain than 2012. Uh, a decade ago, I... Uh, I think the industry was uncertain about the paths that, and not just those in news media, but uh, more broadly, uh, we had the multi-channels. We had the start of, you know, we saw the start of Netflix uh, globally and you know, we now know how that it's disrupted uh, linear TV viewing. Uh, we're starting to see the next wave of you know, programmatic and co- couponing and digital advertising that was, you know, that's when, I'd say Google and Facebook, or now Meta, we're really starting to take a solidified their position as a you know, ad ad business. You know, I was reminded earlier that there was a uh, the double click purchase by Google, the impact that had on the ad tech market, 
And so you were starting to see the digitalization um, back in 2012 of out of home and that we were all very uncertain about you know, where you know, the client dollars would go and whether we would have a consumer base that were prepared to pay. And that I, I'm going to get the year wrong, but it's around that time that uh, the iPad launched. <laughs> and that you know, that was a sudden moment of this is, this, is, is this how people are going to consume print? It's all going to be digital, but it's going to look like a, 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 it takes time for consumers to change their habits. And we see them early adopt in Australia, second, half, second fastest in the world after Norway here. But do we stay with that habit? Uh, not always, but in some times we do. So you've got to be a fast follower sometimes. Other times you've got to lead. Um, but, yeah, this feels very different to 2012. Um, I think the we as an industry should be more confident about what our business models are. I suppose at the same time, you know, any media organisation is expecting a tough few months. Um, I wonder how do you balance communicating honestly with your staff about the challenges ahead and the jobs that might need to go as a result of that versus finding a way of offering a kind of a vision for an optimistic future for journalism? We often hear the announcements and the um, you know, people who are you know, unfortunately leaving companies. You know, we you know, advertised on digital and on you know, in print on Monday for last week of uh, new cadets to join the company. We have skills in audio that we didn't have 10 years ago, skills in video, skills in data, and that there are new people who are bringing you know, great talent to our journalistic um, you know, it says proposition and uh, offering to consumers and that you've got to balance that out in times and that um, a lot of our, our plans are already in place around the recent announcements. You've got to be honest with your teams and say that sadly there will be some people who will leave and some people who will be redeployed and some people who may choose to leave additionally and we've seen that happen as well. Uh, but I think we've got a, you know, the past few years has maybe um masked you know what was going on below the surface and we're now having to deal with that in larger numbers not just at news corp but at all media companies not just in australia now i keep referring back to the conversation we had on stage at mumbrella 360 the uh the audit getting audiences and customers to pay and stay presentation now during that you you acknowledged that News Corp's content can polarise, um, and that has long been the criticism of News Corp, that your editors pursue agendas. Um, we've seen the rise, and I think maybe the fading of campaign groups like Stop Funding Hate or Sleeping Giants, you know, their, their, their method, I suppose, is to try to persuade advertisers to stay off certain platforms um that's been a big challenge i think for sky news australia um now you must have developed a playbook for advertisers by now um what what is the approach when these moments arise yeah i wish there was a playbook tim and that we could just roll out the every issue has different um different layers different you know perspectives and you're dealing often with different people I, in terms of, you know, first of all, the activists and the sleeping giants, the mad witches and others, yes, we were, went through a period of time when they worried uh, a number of clients out there. 
not just about News Corp content, although we were primary, they were an all-sky news. They were, they were activists who were trying to impact change to their own agendas. Uh, like the, good, the good clients, the good companies were the ones that wanted to have a conversation and to understand the concerns both of the activist groups but also get to the facts around what, what, what they were hearing. And again, in many cases, there was misinformation which ultimately undermined the, you know, the position of those activist groups to you know, achieve their outcome. And that, that misinformation has been their downfall and that you know, we've worked through that in you know, having honest conversations. There were a small number of clients that jumped, but that they responded due to the fear of what they could be trending online. Um, and I've, you know, we've seen that you know, happen from time to time. But en masse, I'd say the majority of our clients who were targeted are still with us. And that you know, a key message that I would say is don't give in to bullies. Um, in terms of then, um, other critic groups are you know, former prime ministers and political you know, polarisation. Um, I think they've got their own, you know, I suppose, and they've got their own views, and they'd always defend their views to their ability to have a view. That's what free speech is about. I don't need to agree with them, but you know, ultimately, you know, as we saw through a, a parliamentary inquiry, that uh, the impact of that. They, their concerns were not found to be of, this, of the magnitudes of which they were expressing and they didn't receive the support ultimately that they had wanted. Um, like I, you know, I think it comes back to like, if, we have, if we need to make changes, if we need to like, evolve as an organisation based on the feedback we're receiving, we're going to take that on board. Uh, but additionally, we're not the type of organisation that are going to respond to those intimidations and the agendas of others. And that, and, you know, we've seen that come from, let's say, minority groups. You know, but that that hasn't been a a concern that I, I, I currently am luckily dealing with. But you know, no doubt it's just around the corner. Do you think you have evolved as an organisation, though, when it comes to sort of the that the, the polarising type of content? I think we're always evolving. Um, I, I think that the market has moved um, a lot as well. I, I, we've been through a phase over the past five you know, years that like, opinion-based journalism uh, is really on the back of social media where we could all express an opinion and we were driven to hear others' opinion. But then we got swamped by you know, you know, what is opinion, what is fact, and that has you know, been part of the news fatigue and the opinion fatigue, which we've been drowned out by. And if anything, a part of that evolution is a return to trusted fact-based you know, reporting and presentation, and that it's clearly sourced, clearly attributed and you know, presented as this is fact and this is opinion, and the separation of the two, I think, is now a benefit of those media companies that followed that approach. And so you're always evolving. Um, in terms of some of the areas that uh, we've you know, we've been criticised on, I um, we, do, we we constantly reflect on you know the views of you know, not so much the the views that may differ to particular columnists and I, you know, we have a broad church of you know, columnists and you know, people within the organisation and that 
it's important that we are always encouraging new voices to be not just our own, but you know, opinion writers to be expressing views which are maybe contrary. And, and I look at the voice today, and we've got a we've got a Chris Kenny you know, who is an avid advocate for it. We've got someone like a Paul Kelly who looks at this from a constitutional lens. You know, we've got others who um, Indigenous writers who are writing it in, I suppose, Indigenous Australians who are writing this as a as a pro, and it doesn't go far enough anti. And so when I think through the history of time and the role of news media, it is to further the debate to help Australians, you know, understand the issue and our policymakers, you know, have a platform to express their views so that we can arrive at the right decision. So I'm giving you, you every, every issue is different. Now, uh, Rupert Murdoch recently marked 70 years at the helm of the company, which just sounds remarkable when you say it out loud um now he 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 is in that leadership role alongside Lachlan um you've seen that joint leadership evolve um I think you would have come back to the organization just after Lachlan came back um how do you sum up that sort of joint leadership role now from where you see it I suppose that's at at a board level I personally report through to Robert Thompson who's the global CEO um the the, the the board look after at many different uh, broadcasting, uh, business information, uh, news media, real estate interests. Um, I, I, Rupert and and you know, I deal far more with Lachlan now um, as the co chairs, and that uh, obviously they you know, um, uh, would discuss how many of those issues together as they would with other board members as well. Um, it, it, I understand it's not always your traditional uh, model of having co-chairs, but it's not unusual either. And that it's a it's a balance that appears to work. And uh, I don't, I, I'm not I'm not I'm on those board meetings to give a, a context of, uh, of the dynamics at the time. What else in media? is intriguing you at the moment. I know you're interested in niche business models. Um, I wonder what developing models you've been keeping an eye on either here in Australia or overseas, which are capturing your attention at the moment. Oh, yeah, definitely deep niches. I came across a, a business, a publisher they called themselves, who's just specialised in watches. They, they claimed $100 million of revenue and that as there are wine collectors and car collectors, there's also watch collectors. I'm not one. But they want to know who the makers are, the history behind them, how to insure them, and the swapping of them. The, there's there's expos and conferences. There's commerce, the total commerce solution to it as well. Um, you look at the like the wine industry. You look at you know, just aspects of pets. You know, they, there's passion points. There's music um, that uh, I've learned a lot about when I was with uh, now HT and E in terms of people's passion points. Food is another one. Uh, it's not just it, it's not just travel generically. It's aspects of travel. It is you know, arts travel. It is you know, uh, adventure travel. To I'm just on bikes, um, and so the great thing is is that you can now develop you know, deep niches that can attract an audience. What I'm uh, partly interested in that is that how does it bundle with your core business? And so in recent years, we've invested in Stockhead being for those ASSX stocks that don't get a lot of coverage. Kidspot has been part of the portfolio and it's having another resurgence 
in terms of a source and destination for for you know to be and young you know, parents to uh, congregate and have a community around their kids. Um, you know, I look at the um, you know, race net and punters to investments we've made, and the you know, passionate community of people who uh, love to you know, love the track. Um, code sports you know, has been another revelation in terms of its long form storytelling around uh, our passion for sport. It's not all sports. We don't you know, claim to be a a, a, a competitor to a, a wide world or a, or a herald sun, but it is the stories of sport. And that you know, there's a group there who is, you know, who make the time and uh, have that passion. And so how then do you, you know, include that as part of your broader subscription to a News Corp masthead? And that that adds value. There's a proposition there. I see that many of the UK publications, for five quid, you get you know, puzzles and crosswords for the year. And it's a retention piece, and it's a smart business model. And so that's why I'm interested in what we've called in telco land triple or quad players of the past. I can see that re-emerging as being part of your value proposition. And in reality, we've always covered stocks and puzzles and done long-form storytelling, but it's in those specialist environments where you could buy them separately, you can buy a part of. And that's what excites me as you know we're getting into the storytelling of new genres in new ways, using audio, using video, using UCG. You know, taste is the biggest cooking club in the country by a long way. And that's a passion point. And they're the, they're the areas that I, I'm always looking for, you know, that is inspiration and thinking how big can you get it here. And sadly, the reality is we're a country of 25 million people. I wish we had another zero at the end of that, which then you get some scale. <laughs> Now, a uh, slightly unfair question, um, asking to pick one, but um, if you could point to one act of journalism from News Corp in recent months that sums up the company's direction of travel, what would you choose or what would you think of? Uh, our News Award winner last year was Hedley Thomas. Um, he you know, is a journalist who has evolved into a podcaster. Uh, his recent podcast, Shandy's Story, and not only reopened the case of 23-year-old Shandy Blackburn in Queensland around the systemic failures of the Queensland government's DNA laboratory, but the, uh, he has given hope to over 200 families who do have unanswered questions. This is far bigger story than the teacher's pet, according to, to Headley. The teacher's pet downloaded 85 million times. And so... Why has he been successful? I think is you know, probably more the you know, it's enduring, it is fearless, it is about fairness, it's about transparency, and it's about that accountability of those in who didn't ask the questions around Lynette Dawson. Now, he did. He did the job that the law enforcement of politicians didn't do. And so that is what good journalism is about, and that's about making a difference. And so... That's probably the one that most people are aware of, but it's indicative of multi-platform storytelling using the using resources, but you know, the commitment to finding the truth. Now, last week we heard the news of the passing of Brian Walsh, who was the stalwart of Foxtel's TV making. Um, bit hard to ask you to sum it up, but how would you sum up the contribution that he made? And his contribution was far broader than Foxtel. Um, I, I remember uh, 
getting the news uh, late on the, on the Thursday night. Um, I first um, came across Brian as a kid marketer uh, in the mid-90s. Um, we were launching the Sunday magazine, which was a big deal at the time. Uh, there were over a million copies that uh, a magazine would go into, the biggest magazine day one in the country. And uh, he was a mentor to me in the launch of uh, that uh, entertainment-based publication. But uh, Brian has managed sporting stars. He was a talent manager. He was, when the, uh, the movies would come to Australia, he was their publicist on the ground. He would uh, put on the halftime events at uh, NRL Grand Finals. He would, you know, his days of a promotions manager at, uh, at uh, 2SM and in radio, um, then leading to marketing. He was generous in you know, his sharing of experiences. He wasn't you know, a competitive guy. He, just, he loved the story. He loved uh, connecting with audiences. And he's going to he's going to be missed, but um, his you know, his contribution, as I say, is far greater than his uh, colleagues at News and Foxtel. It's uh, his contribution is to many people, and probably a lot. Of, he, he probably made a difference to many who didn't even know his name. Well, last question from me, and this is the last question I ask everybody: What would your critics say about you, and what would your supporters say about you? Um, the critics. Um, we've got a few. <laughs> the um, a, a journalism um, you know, is not there to be popular. It's for often standing up for the unpopular, for those without a voice, for those who are unable to uh, you know, represent themselves in you know, in in the conversation. Um, and I, you know, while we're while we are. Um, Standing up for the unpopular, we're not always popular, and therefore we do have our critics. And that that is what uh, they would say about us is that you know, we're, their version of what the news is is not necessarily what we publish every day. And yeah, that's a tough job for an editor to decide what is got to be led. But yeah, we are there to make a difference. It'd be how I would respond to those critics who would like to see something different, would like to see their view of the world played back at them. Uh, but you know. We are there to, to make a difference and that part of that is um, you know, being fearless and you know, staying principle. And what would your supporters say about you? Um, a measure that I use is you know, how are we going? Like, how are the Australian people responding? And they're both your critics and your supporters and that ultimately like, I look at do we have a growing audience? That's got to be your measure. <laughs> is that more important than your share price? Is that more important than your you know, net promoter score? I think it ultimately is. Is do you what are your are your customers responding to what you're doing? And in the past two years, we've grown from sixteen point eight to eighteen point one million Australians. So we've got a growing audience, and so we're doing something right for them. And why do they come to us? They come to us because they trust us, and that you know, yeah, we're there for free thinking free markets and free speech. And we're going to protect that and stand up for that. That means standing up for Australians. And that while we've got a growing audience, I'd say we're doing our job and that our supporters would say we trust you. Michael Miller, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Tim. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Toodle pet. Unmade. 
Podcast Edit by Abe's Audio.